Amen. Well, it is good to see you all. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in Malachi chapter 1. We will begin in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1, finishing up the first chapter of Malachi. And if you were here for the first time today, and you're about to get into uh, the prophecies of God here for the people of God, you may begin reading and going, oh no, what have I stumbled upon? And so I want to ask in grace and kindness and mercy that you uh, just stay with us as I believe all of us today will be challenged and convicted and encouraged by this word that we read in Malachi chapter 1. Now before we jump into this passage today, I want to start by running some scenarios by you if I could, some what-ifs if you will. And I want you to think for a moment not only how you would respond to these particular what-if statements, but rather ask yourself this question, and just be honest. We're not going to ask for hands raised or anything like that, but just be honest with yourself. Have you ever had any of the following thoughts that we are about to walk through? I will go ahead and confess up front that I have. What if? What if I told you that church was boring? What would you say? What if I told you that I didn't want to come to church today because church itself can be frustrating? What if I told you today that the church was a place full of hypocrites just going through the motions of half-hearted worship to a God that they're not even sure they believe in? What if? What if I told you that every Saturday night getting into Sunday morning, I wake up with the thought that I'm going to a place to sit for two hours? Some of you just got nervous by the fact I said two hours. When in reality, in the time that I'm in worship, there's probably something more I could be doing. Maybe instead of being in worship, there's somewhere else that maybe would be better for me to be. What if? What if coming together for the purpose of corporate worship was really just a massive waste of time? I mean, what if they close the doors to the church? Maybe they should close the doors to the church. Now, I would wonder if for a moment, if for a fleeting moment, many of us have had some sort of thought similar to what I just read. Maybe you woke up on a Sunday morning and thought to yourself, I'm just too tired to be a part of corporate worship. Or maybe you woke up on a Sunday morning thinking to yourself, I really don't want to be a part of Sunday worship because of whatever reason. Maybe it has to do with something that happened to you during the week, something that you found out about. Maybe it was an email that you got from the church. Maybe it was just something about someone else that was in the same space that you're going to be occupying. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what if? Because I would imagine many of us have had these very same thoughts. And I want you to be honest for a second and think about that. Because here's the truth that I want us to understand from our passage today in Malachi chapter 1. The thoughts that I just shared with you, the the what-if statements that I just shared with, with all of us this morning, this is actually a paraphrase of the message that God gives to His people in our text today. You don't believe me, go ahead and look with me real quick in Malachi chapter 1, verse 10, and listen to what God says about the church. He says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut 
the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Can you just picture it for a moment? Can you imagine God walking into this place today and into this church today and saying that to us? I mean, what do, you, what do you think God would say if he were to really just peel back the roof and he began speaking directly to the Western church? What do you think he would say to us today? I imagine many of us would probably think, surely God and his goodness and mercy that we just sang about, surely God wouldn't do that. But here's the problem. According to Malachi chapter 1, verses 6, all the way to the end of the chapter, God did say that. In fact, he said it to his people. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to answer the question, why? Why would God want the doors of the church shut? Why would God want his people to stop worshiping him? And what I'm hoping that we see this morning that should really challenge us and convict us, and then I'm, I'm hoping will encourage us by the time we get to the end of this message, I'm hoping that we see that God answers the question for us as he tells his people to stop their careless worship. Again, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to begin reading in Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, I would ask if you can and you were able to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. This is Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, we read. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say... What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, 
and my name will be feared among the nations. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. you can be seated. Clearly you read this passage and you probably begin to wonder how on earth are we even going to pull a word of encouragement from this passage? This just does not sound good. Well, clearly, let's jump into this text and see that obviously a divide now exists between God and his people. Remember, we talked about that a week ago. And so now we find God in a moment where he is now making a statement. The people are then going to question God as if they are going to now dispute the statement that God has made. And then ultimately, we see God proving his point as if God ever really needs to prove his point. Now, in the text, we see the people were worshiping God. They have gathered continually, continually gathering for the purpose of worship. However, the worship they offered to God made him sick of their worship, and he wished that they would simply stop. You see, their worship was not pleasing to him. He wasn't impressed with what was going on in worship, nor was he happy with what it was that they were giving to God. And so you may be thinking at this point, my goodness, what does God expect from us? Doesn't God understand what it is that I'm going through? Doesn't God understand? Remember, this is the Israelite people who felt abandoned by God. Doesn't God understand that that we're not even convinced that he cares anymore? So what could God possibly expect from us? Well, the answer is simple. He expects our best. But what they were giving God in worship wasn't even close to their best. Again, not perfection, but their best, their true heart of worship. I want you to think about what that may mean, and I want to try to put this more in layman terms if I could to help you understand what I mean by giving your best. Now, you may have not, or maybe you've noticed, but my wife is not with us today. Um, As with every family dealing with sickness, when one person gets sick in the family, everybody gets sick in the family, and so uh, this front section over here is not full of my family today. We have one who is home who is sick, and my wife drew the short straw today, and uh, she is home taking care of the child. Actually, the child always asks for the mom. I don't know how it works in your family, but anytime a kid gets sick, who do they ask for? Mom, right? Um, I still, even as a grown adult, still call my mother when I am sick. Not that she can do anything. She's over eight hours away, but still something about talking to mom is just assuring, right? So she is home taking care of a sick kid. Now, to make this illustration, to make this point come to light, here's what I would say to you. Let's imagine for a moment as, as, as a spouse, if you will, um, whether you're a husband or a wife, I'll just use my own example with my wife. Let's say for a moment that I wanted to celebrate my wife. Let's say we weren't just talking about her birthday or, or our anniversary, but rather I just wanted to make a big deal about my wife. I wanted to celebrate all that she had done for me, all that she has done for our family. And I wanted to tell, and I told her, I want to give you a day, Allison. I want a day that's all about you. Like we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to feed you bed and breakfast. Like we're going to celebrate you all day. Okay, and if I told my wife I was making her bed and breakfast, she'd probably lose her mind at this point, okay? And so I'd continue and I said, babe, we're we're just going to celebrate you in every possible moment. We got a gift for you, a gift that is going to blow your mind. And she's probably going to be thinking through all the 800 things that she's never told me that she wished she had. And maybe just once in her subtle way, I picked up on one of those 
things, right? And so all of a sudden, we're, we're talking this up. I'm talking this up. And I'm literally saying to her, this whole day, everything that we're doing, every gift that we give you, we just believe it is worthy of who you are as a wife. It is worthy of who you are as a, as a mother and as a sister in Christ. And so all of a sudden, the day comes. Like, it's marked on the calendar. It has a save the date on the fridge. I mean, she is excited. She's looking forward to it. And then all of a sudden, I walk in with a small bag. And I say, Allison, here you go. Here's your gift to sum up all the wonderful years that we've been together. And all of a sudden she opens the bag and she pulls out this, this small plastic trophy of a woman wearing an apron that I picked up from the Dollar Tree. And it says, world's best wife. And that was it. Now I want to ask you who know my wife, do you think she'd be thankful? I'd be a dead man. Thank you, Jonathan. I'd love to hear that funeral. <laughs> he had it coming, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, think about this for a moment. She'd be upset. She'd probably say, no, she probably would be. She probably would be thankful to my face, but I could imagine her saying in her mind, God, give me yet another day of grace and mercy, not to just obliterate this man that you have given to me. I, I just imagine something along those lines, because the reality is I would have talked up something massive for her. I would, have, I would have talked up some sort of incredible expectation. And then all of a sudden, when the time came, I am the one who failed to deliver. Well, when you look at our text today in Malachi chapter one, verses six, all the way down through verse 14, this is exactly what the people of God were doing. You see, they had come to a point where they, they had seen God work. They understood the working of God. They understood the call and the command to worship God with a, with a sincere heart, with a, with, a, with, a, with a clean heart and a pure mind. And they understood all of these things. And yet in this moment, the skepticism of the people and the skepticism that they had for his love, which we just read about a week ago, had now all of a sudden spilled into their worship. And so in the midst of, of doubting the, the care that comes from the Lord, doubting the presence of God with them, it began to affect their giving. It began to affect their, their offerings in worship. And so everything that they were giving to God in worship wasn't all of who they were, but rather it was just it was a half-hearted worship. And so God being God sees this. He hears it. He sees and, and hears the heart and hears what he says. He says, listen, just stop. Just close the door. Shut it down. Send your pastors elsewhere. Let them go, pastor, faithful people. Just, just close the doors because your worship is careless. And so we're left with the question again of why? Why would God want to close the doors? Why would God call our worship careless? What we're going to see is answer in two parts. The first being found in verses 6 through 10. God calls our worship careless because God was not honored in worship. Read with me again, verses 6 through 10. It says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. And if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But, but you say, how have we despised your name? By, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? 
And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. Now, again, I want us to pay attention how with each and every section of Malachi, God is going to make a statement that the people are then going to question. They're going to simply try to dispute what it is that God is saying to them. Now, before we go any further, let's just pause for a moment and and, and talk about this for a second. Because I can't begin to understand why the people of God would refute what it is that God is saying to them. Versus simply listening to God and then repenting to God. They would rather dispute the facts of God. So one of the first things that we've got to pay attention to for our own lives is this. Why do we always want to refute the word of God? Why do we always want to to hear people come to us and, and ask us questions and say, hey, you know, I want to ask you about this. I see this thing in your life, or maybe they see this sin in our life, and they want to call us out for it and, and do it in a loving way and point us back to Scripture. Why is it when every time this happens and a question gets asked, we all of a sudden get defensive? I mean, pay attention here, because even when God calls the people out in our text, in their pride, they don't even want to admit their fault. They simply say, When have we done that? I mean, they're almost responding the same way that that Adam and Eve did in the garden. Except Adam went a a step further. He he didn't, well, actually he blamed God. Remember, what does he say? This woman who you gave me, like it was God's fault. The people here are responding in the very same way. And so I want us to, to pay attention and let's make sure that we're staying humble when we are being corrected by the word according to the word, okay? But now let's look at the text. Verse 6. Verse 6 shows us that the primary issue was not the people's failure to worship. They were showing up for worship. Rather, their failure to worship was actually a symptom to a much bigger problem. And so what was that problem? Well, the passage tells us. It was a lack of honor being shown to God in worship, which then results in deficient sacrifice and then leads to weak worship. Now, to make sure we understand what we're talking about, let's simply define the word honor. We're going to define it this way today, as having a good name or being of superior standing. Now, again, when you look at this text, this is not what the people of God were doing in worship. They were not holding high the name of God. They were not treating the name of God as if it had superior standing in their own lives. In fact, they get called out for it in verse 7 because they offered polluted food upon the altar. In other words, God is saying, listen, you're not honoring me because you're not even bringing me your best. Rather, what you're bringing me is your leftovers. And so the people ask, well, God, how how are we bringing you our leftovers? Leftovers. To which then God answers them in the form of an analogy uh, in the way he presents uh, food or the way the people present food to a governor in verses 8 and 9. 
He says to them that they would bring the best to their governor in hopes of winning favor for themselves. However, if they did not offer their best, notice what God does. He questions them. Will he show favor to any of you? And then God takes it one step further and says, yet when you come to the temple to worship, you come, but you do not honor me. And so he goes back to verse 6 and asks them the question, where is my honor? Now again, according to Levitical law and Leviticus, the people were called to bring perfect and unblemished animals to God. Yet here in our text in Malachi chapter 1, they brought blind animals that were lame and sick, according to verse 8. And so the Lord sees all that is happening and he assesses the situation well in verse 10. And so I'm going to read this to you again for the third time to make sure we hear what God is saying to the people. He says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. I read that to you again because I want us to understand that God would rather see his temple shut down and the required sacrifices stopped and worship ceased than to have his people continue to dishonor him in the way that they have done. God says to his people, it would be better for you to not worship at all than to continue on in worship with half-hearted devotion. And as if that wasn't bad enough, God continues to answer why he has called our worship careless. He said, again, first, that he was not honored in worship. Secondly, in verses 11 through 14, he says this, God, we, we know this, God was not respected in worship. Look with me again, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now again, you may be asking, okay, well, what's the difference between honor and respect? Well, let's just talk about that for a moment. Respect is about praising someone, while honor is focused on how important someone or something is to us. It's what we value. So if you value something, you probably respect what that something is, correct? So if we are believers in Christ, believers in God, and we value God, then clearly our response to valuing God is praising God, yes? Everybody tracking with me? Okay, good. Notice verse 11. Again, he says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. Now let's just stop there because I've heard a lot of, of, of Christian songs over the years, over the decades now, uh, really put this verse into song. And, I, and unfortunately, I think a lot, of, a lot of these songs really don't understand the meaning of what God is saying here. 
Now, yes, we should praise the name of the Lord from sunup to sundown. You've probably heard uh, a song. I remember singing it back in the 90s from, it literally said, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised, right? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you don't. If you don't, that's okay. I'm not going to sing it for you because that's, that's not my skill set. However, when we hear these songs, this actually isn't what God is talking about at all here. But rather what he is saying is this. He's saying that one day he will receive better worship from pagan Gentiles. I mean, think about that. Literally, he just said in verse, uh, verse 11, a day is coming where my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. He is literally just slapping in the face the people of God. He's looking at them and saying, listen, you're half-hearted worship can stop. Shut the doors because one day, one day, these doors are going to be opened again. And the people who are going to be giving a true heart of worship, the people who are going to be offering true sacrifices of praise to God, one day, those people are coming. They're Gentiles. They're pagans. They may not even know it yet, but one day they're going to come into this place and they're going to worship me. And I'm telling you, that worship is going to be greater than what you're offering. Could you imagine again if God ripped the roof off this place and said that to us? What if he came in and just ripped this place apart and said, hey, you guys can just shut the doors. You're done. Because there's, a, there's another group of people who are coming and they're going to worship me. Mind, heart, body, and soul. They're going to give everything to me. They're going to, they're going to praise me. They're not, they're not going to come in bitter at me, blaming me for something Something else? No, they're not going to do that. They're not going to come in looking to, to make a name for themselves. They're going to come make much of my name. That's literally what God is saying in this moment to the people. And so we have to ask ourselves, man, if God really did walk into this place, what would he say about our worship? Would he say the same thing about us? And if you want to know the answer to that question, there's a simple way to do a heart check here. Well, how did, how did you come in this morning to worship? How did you come in? Because the reality is this. In our text, God was not being respected in worship. He wasn't being respected. He wasn't being honored in worship. Now again, many of us may come in hurting and broken and feel like we're a mess. And that's okay. What God is talking about here is the people who want to come in and go, man, I'm really here because I, I, I just want to be the one that gets the praise. I want, to, I want to see my name on the building. I'm just here so I can make much of, of who I am. I, I give God my leftovers, but I'm still here because I had to be. In that moment, we are not respecting the name of the Lord. In fact, go back and look at verse 12 and 13. He says, but you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised, but you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? I mean, I want us to understand that when God says these words to the people, he's literally looking at the people, and in this very moment, they were in worship, and this is what they were doing. They were collectively sighing and saying, what a pain it is to be here. What a burden it is 
to come and worship the Lord and not burden as in they were convicted by sin, but burden as if they had better things to do with their day. You see, the people did not come into the house of God to worship him. They came because they had to. They came as half-hearted worshipers, doubting God, frustrated with God. And if they were being honest with themselves, they were, they were despising the Lord in this moment. And so it's here that we see a serious lack of honor and respect for God in worship. Now, some would ask, should the Lord still receive their worship, though it's in spite? Should the Lord continue to receive their worship, even though it's only 50%? The answer to that question is no. No, God doesn't have to receive that. Don't believe me? Look at Psalm 24. When asked who should ascend the hill and stand in his holy place, the word of God says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Romans chapter 12 teaches us that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual act of worship, being holy and blameless in his sight. Again, in Hebrews chapter 13 teaches us that we are called to offer up continually a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name and to do good and to share what it is that you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, in any of these texts, whether it's Psalm 24, Romans 12, Hebrews 13, does any of this sound like the call or the work of careless worship? The answer is no. You see, here's the reality for us today. Instead of seeing God as father and as master and as sovereign, we worship and live as though serving God was a nuisance. We worship and live as though serving God and worshiping God was a burden and he gets in our way of living our best life. This is one scholar said about this passage. He said, yet just as with the people of Malachi's day, our worship and our lifestyle decisions daily reveal the reality that we too have an improper view of God. You see, when our worship is not properly focused, then we are not viewing God the way he intended himself to be viewed. And so our worship and our lives are now completely out of focus. And when you come back to the text, you see that this poor worship then leads God to say in verse 14, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our worship must reflect the fact that we respect and honor our God. Again, I want to say to you, sure, we're going to come in broken. Sure, we're going to come in fearful, man. We're going to come in ashamed. We're going to come in ashamed of our sins, sins that we might have committed this morning or the night before or this week that we don't want anybody to know about. But that should never stop us from raising our voices to King Jesus and giving him our best. Why? Because he is the one who has restored our souls. Even if our best that day looks like millions of broken, shattered pieces, we should still be able to come to worship and say, but he alone is worthy. Now again, we have to ask ourselves, why would God care so much about our worship? Well, look at verse 6, verse 11, verse 14. In fact, five times in our passage, and we're going to see this repeated as we continue to walk through Malachi, God says that worship is about him. In our passage, he uses the phrase, my name, five times. Now, this is important for us to realize because many people think that when they come to worship, that worship should be about them. 
I really think that's why in, in, in Western culture, in Western society, in our churches today, this is why so many Christians are so critical of worship services. This is why so many people are so critical of the way church buildings look. This is why people are so critical of teachings and, and preachings. And it's because they fail to see that, that gathering together as a corporate body of believers is really not about us at all. Rather, according to, to God here in Malachi 1, we are called to gather for the name of God to be made much of. It's not about our own name. So when we come to worship together, do we come to, to make much of Jesus or do we come to make much of ourselves? And the reality is this, that answer will be found in what we give our money and our time to in life. Let me unpack what I mean. Money for a second. Do you delight in making sacrifices in your personal budget, your, your play money, if you will, your clothes money in order to give to the church to support the local mission? By the grace of God, many of us do well with that. But let's focus on one that I think is a little bit harder for all of us, and that is time. You see, here's the reality. All of us lead busy lives. All of us have stuff to do. All of us have stuff we want to do and desire to do, and more and more stuff takes up our time. We are always dialed in, always connected in. We have, we have phones that constantly beep and buzz and bling and, and play our favorite song from our favorite movie or whatever. We're always dialed in and connected in. And so, so I, would, I would ask us to explore this question. Do we delight in spending time reading? Do we delight in having coffee with a friend, exercising free time with our kids? Or do we delight in personal time with self and thus are willing to sacrifice time with God in the corporate gathering? Or are we willing to frustrate our own schedules in order to spend more time with God in the gathered body? You see, like the people that side against worship to God in Malachi? We have to ask ourselves this question. Do we sigh when church interrupts our plans? Do we sigh when, when worship to God interrupts our schedule? Or do we, do we sigh when the other things of life attempt to interrupt our ability to be able to gather corporately as a body of believers? And this might be a good time for us to to revisit the Lord's prayer and realize quickly, brothers and sisters, that God is teaching us that our kingdom is not coming. Our will is not being done. It is God's kingdom that will come. It is God's will that is going to be done. And thus, God deserves our best in life and in worship. Going back to my analogy from earlier about my wife, God deserves better than a plastic trophy that says, world's best deity. Man, at this point, I'm hoping that all of us are feeling some sort of self-reflection and maybe feeling some sort of conviction by how we have come to worship. And if, if that's you, trust me, this has been me as well this week and, and over the past couple of weeks as I've been looking at this passage. And so I want you to know today, though, there is good news. Okay, so don't, don't tune me out. If you're hearing all this going, man, our pastor's a punk today. Like, why is he, why is he punching us in the face so much? I want to tell you, there's good news, okay? By the way, this is the Word of God, so those punches are not mine, okay? So stop blaming me, okay? All right, let's say that. Uh, but let me, let me give you some good news if I could, okay? The good news from our careless worship, according to God here in Malachi chapter 1, first is this. God recognizes and acknowledges the problem. You see, that's what this section of Malachi is all about. God sees the problem. In fact, God 
calls out the problem. He doesn't just see it and say, whoa, that's their issue. Let them figure that out. No, he calls out his people for the problem. Now, we, we already know this from Paul in Philippians. And when Paul writes to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in knowing what Paul speaks to the church at Philippi and applying it back to what we see here in Malachi, sure, sure, this word may sting us today, but here's the reality. Our story doesn't end here. God is going to finish the work that he started. Which leads us to, to our, our second good news moment, our second moment of grace here, which is this. Not only does God acknowledge and recognize the problem, but listen to this. God is determined to restore the relationship between himself and his people. That's good news. God is willing to restore the relationship. Look at the Gospels with, with Jesus speaking to the woman of Samaria, which, by the way, was a huge deal for, for, some, for a Jewish man to be speaking to a Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, this is important because we know from the word of God that God always gets what he wants. So God, in correcting and convicting us of our careless worship, is going to mold us into who he wants us to be and how he wants us to worship. I mean, believers in Christ, do you see that? Like, we have a God who's going to convict us of our half-hearted, careless worship, and instead of kicking us to the curb, which is the habit of our culture, he says, no, no, I'm not done with you. We're going to fix this. And he's going to mold us and shape us into the type of worshiper that he wants us to be. That is good news. Let me, let me Maybe I can summarize it better this way. When it comes to our worship, God will win. Do you see that? When it comes to our worship, God will win. God is going to get what it is that he desires. God is going to get what it is that he deserves, which leads us to our third point of good news that I want us to hear, which is this. Not only does God recognize and acknowledge the problem, but he's determined to restore the relationship. But the reason why he's willing to call out the problem and then restore the relationship is because like we talked about a week ago, God loves his people. In fact, he has loved his people. It's like we talked about last week where we said to each other, hey, if you want to help somebody in a conversation that's struggling, instead of pointing out their problems first, start by saying this, God loves you. Maybe we need to say it the way God did. Hey, do you know that God has loved you? Even, even before all this mess, in the midst of the mess, post-mess, <laughs> God loves you. And he has always loved you. Church family, God loves us. He has always loved us. And again, I want us to understand something. This is not some sort of fleeting feeling of affection that you can fall out of. No, when God says he has loved us, he is speaking of something that is specific, something that is personal, something that is intensely concentrated with a passion for those who are called according to his purpose. And if you need more assurance of God's love than that, then look over to John chapter 10, verse 20 and 29, when Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And then this phrase, and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
come on. But he's not done. He gets into verse 25 and he says, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And he doubles down. And he says, And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Because of God's love, which, remember, He loved us first, we can never be taken from God. So can we try something this morning? Can we, can we hear this correction and say this correction is coming because God loves us? Can we, can we hear this, this conviction, not as in, oh, woe is me, I'm a horrible person, but rather hear it as God loves us and he desires uh, our best for us, desires our best for him in worship? Brothers and sisters in Christ, by his words today and his covenant grace, his covenant grace and knowing that he has loved us, God deserves more than our careless worship. And again, we recognize this morning that, that we're not a perfect people. We don't always come to worship with our best. Let's just be honest. But thanks be to God that there's grace. Thanks be to God that he loves us. Thanks be to God that he has loved us. However, God's grace should not be used to justify our careless worship. Rather, when we come to worship, let's give God our best. How do we do that? We give God our best by giving God the respect and the honor that is due His name. Because Jesus gave His life so that we could come to the throne of God and worship Him. It was Jesus who gave His life so that we would be found blameless before the Lord and be able to worship Him freely. Thus, we are now called to respond with pure hearts, with clean minds, and with a passion that burns for Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, what does your worship look like? Are you giving your all? Are you pleading, crying out to Jesus? Is your, is your heart awakened or is it hardened to the wonderful works of God? Only you can answer that question. But bear in mind, the Lord hears your answer loud and clear. In fact, to close out in the second half of verse 14, God says, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now this word feared is very interesting, and John Bunyan actually wrote about the name of God being feared, and he said it this way. He said, fall down upon thy knees, man, and up with thy heart and thy hands to the God that dwells in the heavens. Cry, yea, cry aloud, Lord. Unite my heart to fear thy name. And do not harden mine heart from thy fear. Church family, let's worship God with passion. Let's worship God with the reverence and the wonder that he is due. Let's worship him in all of his glory and all of his holiness and all of his majesty, and all of his covenant grace, for he has not forgotten us. We're going to get another chance to do this in a moment. Because in a moment, we're going to take communion. Maybe in a moment, we need to ask forgiveness of the Lord for our lackluster worship. And then we're going to get a chance to sing one more time. And I'm not just asking you to sing loud. I'm asking you to sing with passion. 
a passion that recognizes that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. You see, when God is the center of our worship, then we will escape the sin that is careless worship. Make him your center today. Let God be the center of your worship. Let's pray together.